I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The climate death cult is about to claim another casualty. We'll talk about that tonight. We'll talk about the system taking care of its own. We're going to discuss the mind of the communist and so much more coming up tonight on I'm Right. We have a brand. New York has a brand. And when people see it, it means something. You know, when we go there, it's not, Kansas doesn't have a brand. New York does have a brand. It does, actually. He's right about that. And they're destroying the brand. You've seen the news about New York and pizza restaurants. And so we don't don't need to make a mountain out of a molehill, but it's something that I think people need to understand because it goes to the mind of the communist. When you think of New York City, whether you've been there or not, Pizza's on the list somewhere for what you think about New York City. They're famous for it. I adore New York City. And when I go, if I'm walking down a sidewalk, I generally even have, either have one of those sidewalk hot dogs in my hand or I have a slice of pizza. I just stop and grab a slice and I just walk around with pizza. That's what I do. It's part of New York City for me. But they're going after that. They're going after these coal and wood-fired pizza restaurants going to charge them exorbitant amounts of money for no reason whatsoever to try to scrub all their stuff. It's ridiculous. It's insane. But why is really the question. We'll bring Chef Andrew Gruel on here for a moment to talk about the restaurant aspect. Why? Why do they do it? Why do communists destroy everything? Well, 
I think once again, the right gets this wrong. That's a weird way to say that, but I think the right gets this wrong about communists. We will look at something like this and we will say, hey, they're wrecking it. It's what they do. But it's not what they do. What, what they do is different than who they are. You see, what you do is different than who you are. Meaning, this is what I mean. We have to understand this. It's just, it's, it's going to speak to how these people think. I wake up in the morning, and first thing I do is I go brush my teeth. I wake up in the morning and I brush my teeth. That's a choice. That's a conscious effort. I wake up, I don't like how my mouth feels in the morning, so I go brush my teeth to wash all the yuck out of my mouth. You probably do the same thing. That's what you do. That's what I do. But I also, I have this. I laugh. You know, I like to laugh. You probably like to laugh. I laugh at jokes. I make jokes. I'm sarcastic. I enjoy humor. That's not something I do. It's not a conscious choice. It's who I am. It's how God made me. It's woven into my DNA. It's who I am. Communists destroy everything they touch. Everything. From our education system to our military to pizza ovens in New York City. But we have to understand something. It's who they are. It's not what they do. Don't give them that out. It's simply who they are. Bitter malcontents who just destroy whatever's in front of their face at any given moment because that's the entire point of the religion. It's a religion of destruction. It is woven into their being the way my sense of humor is. Until we understand and accept that, we will never understand these people and what they'll do next and why they're doing what they're doing. Make sense? Oh, one New York pizza man's none too pleased about things. You heard of the Boston Tea Party? Well, this is the Boston, New York, this is the New York Pizza Party. Give us pizza or give us death. Give us pizza or give us death. Give us pizza or give us death. Give us pizza. Okay, not, not the most advanced protest I've certainly ever seen in my life, but the man was upset. Let's go to the chef. Joining me now, my friend Chef Andrew Gruel of the new Calico Fish House, which he's going to tell me about in just a minute. But okay, chef, why are all the pizza chefs in New York angry? Why are they throwing pizza at City Hall? What? All right, so this was actually proposed in 2016. This isn't 100% new, where they were forcing restaurants to either get rid of their coal and wood-fired ovens or put on a scrubber, which is basically this $20,000 contraption that purifies the air that's coming out of these ovens. Now what they've done is they've retabled this and they've said, look, maybe we should put a commission together to really go in and investigate exactly what's happening with the theoretical pollutants related to these ovens. So now they have a commission or some sort of a bureaucracy that's going to determine exactly what restaurants need to do. And the restaurants are going to have to pay these inspectors to come to their restaurants and tell them what they need to add on to their ovens, even if they're allowed to begin with. But we need to remember, this is all a red herring, right? This is about banning natural gas because this is this is really what it comes down to is that they're going to come in and they're going to say, well, we've determined that we haven't met the required 
emission number or the lower threshold, and therefore you're going to have to convert to electricity. This is just another extension of that. Eric Adams, New York City Mayor Adams, went on television and he was talking about the ban. And I'm really going to need you to clarify this. Here was Eric Adams. Well, first of all, uh, I love my vegan pizza with vegan cheese, you know, and, um, you know, something about pizza. Like, do anyone dislike pizza? Everyone likes pizza. You almost see that pie in front of you. You start to get happy. I think pizzas have saved more marriages than any other food. You know, sharing a pie with your boo is like, that's the ultimate. We don't want to hurt businesses in the city and we don't want to hurt the environment. You know, I think uh, nothing is more clearer to all of us is what uh, this environment is going through after uh, two weeks ago with the fire in, uh, in Canada. That smoke is the type of smoke that we're talking about. Okay, so Chef, do I have this right? We don't want to hurt businesses, but we're going to charge them to have it inspected and then charge them $20,000 for the scrubber. And we're doing this because some arsonists set a wildfire in Canada. Do I have all that right? You've got that right. But remember, this is not about the environment. This is negligible. The effect, there's probably 100 coal fire oven pizzas in New York that we're talking about. You would have to cook 1 million pizzas in order to match the emissions from just one of any of our politicians' private plane flights. This is not the issue at all. You could get rid of every single oven in New York City and it would have a negligible effect on any of the carbon emissions, which we could obviously pontificate on whether they're even an issue to begin with. It's not about the environment. If they electrify everything, which is ultimately what they wanna do, coal and natural gas is what's driving that electricity. So we're actually gonna produce more coal and natural gas, or we're gonna emit it, in order to produce the necessary electricity. It is a complete lie, it's a sham. They are 100% lying about all of this in order to regain more control of the small businesses because they're the enemies and the government wants to take all this over. Chef, why can't I cook a good pizza at home? You know how much I love pizza. I see the pizzas you make and it just makes me wanna cry. They look so good. And I've tried over and over and over again. Regular oven, the wife got me one of these pellet smoker pizza ovens. The crust is either done before the toppings, they're never done at the same time, or the toppings are done and the crust is not done. What am I doing wrong? Well, two things. Number one, you need an oven that's going to get up to about six or 700 degrees. You can now buy these little umi ovens where you get the wood fire outdoors and it brings it up to a much higher heat. But the second piece is, is that you got to make your dough fresh and let it ferment for like two days so that you can fully stretch that dough and the yeast actually leavens, it, ri it rises, and then it kind of falls back down again so that when you're cooking, it creates that cracker crust. Otherwise, there's way too much moisture stuck inside the dough itself. So you really, the key is that long fermentation time. Make your dough, leave it in the refrigerator for a couple of days, have about 40 of those beautiful Jesse Kelly burgers, and then make your pizza. Uh, crap, that's it. I haven't, been the, I haven't been leaving the dough out. Okay, all right. Jeff, in all seriousness, a filet of fish at McDonald's is now $4.58. It's $7 in Massachusetts. Okay, that's a filet of fish. My mom used to take me to get these when I was a kid, and it was a dollar. And I'm not trying to sound like that old guy complaining about prices, but if that's a cheap poor person meal now, Chef, what's happening to restaurants? I can't believe it's even that low, to be honest with you. It makes me wonder what they're serving. But, uh, you know, look, 
the costs in restaurants are astronomical. And it's not just the cost of products and supply chain, but it's the taxes that are being added on top of the taxes. I used to run like a 28% labor cost in my restaurant. I'm running 46% labor right now because of the taxes that they add on top of the tips and the new taxes that just keep being added on top of the existing taxes. They're taxing us out of any successful profit and loss statement so that ultimately all the small businesses can fail. The only way you can succeed is if you have economies of scale or you're a large corporation. When you're a large corporation, you play the game, you beat the drum, you merge with the government, you tell them what they want to hear, you know, you fly the flags, and it's become one. I mean, that's fascism defined, and that's what's happening in America. Yeah, it is, and it's sad. Chef, I appreciate you very much, my brother. Come back very soon. Money is a difficult conversation. And here's part of the reason it's a difficult conversation. When I talk to one of my friends, because I have friends who are money guys, investors, or they either invest personally or they're professional financial advisors, they will oftentimes, I know you're going to find this shocking, speak over my head. They're, they're talking about yields and this and that, and I don't know, did we short this? And it's just, it's too much. I want to be able to invest my money. I want to be able to do smart things with my money. And I need someone to explain how. I don't want someone else to do it. I want to do it, and I want to know how. That's what Money Pickle is. Money Pickle is your way to get professional advice. It's your education. It's your school for how to invest your money. All you have to do is go to moneypickle.com, and that gets you a free appointment. A free appointment. You want to see what I'm talking about? You don't have to take my word for it. Moneypickle.com. Go. Let's all get educated. Me too, right? We'll be back. Let's talk about cities, blue areas for a moment. And I'm the one who always annoys you by coming on here on TV and coming on my radio show and telling you to move. Get out of your blue city. Get out of your blue city. You got to move. You got to move. And nobody likes to hear that. And I know that. I, I, I realize that. Especially, you got family. You got a church you love. You got the kids in school, kids in sports. You got a job you can't just pack up and leave. There are all kinds of very valid reasons why people can't leave. So I get that. But... These places are not just bad. They're getting worse. New York City Mayor Eric Adams had this to say. Juneteenth was uh, our celebration of emancipation and the end of slavery. That was one of the most deadliest days in our city. Ten shootings, I think six homicides. Uh, one 16-year-old boy shot in the head, uh, close range. Uh, you know, we have to be honest about this. And you know what's interesting? All those anti-police folks didn't raise their voice at all. If black lives matter, black lives matter when innocent people are shot on our streets. But nothing's changed in New York City. The bail laws remain exactly as they are the criminals run free. The cops are all demonized, so they're all retiring. And now the New York City Police Department is filling up quickly with a bunch of turds as all the brave men and women are taking off. And this is just a tiny preview of what's to come. Speaking of New York, do you know it's now a, quote, sanctuary state for child mutilation? Did you know that's real? And you don't think this is the end, right? 
It's also, according to their governor, a haven for abortion. New York is always as happy to lead. I mean, the women's rights movement started here. Abortion was legal in New York three years before Roe v. Wade, so we're used to being leaders. We have no choice. Again, this is a war we are in, and we have to use all the arsenal, all the, all the assets we have to be able to win this on behalf of our women. It's not just where the blue places are now like that. It's where the blue places are going. And as I've tried to explain before, and I'm going to move off this, I'm going to move off it, there's no break system left for the Democrat Party in this country. There used to be. There has forever been a break system where you would have this blue dog or this moderate or something to that effect stepping in and saying this is too far. Or, or this has been a great block, a, break, a great break system for the Democrats, the legal system. Because everything they want is unconstitutional, unconstitutional and unlawful. Everything they want. But now they've filled up the legal system with all these judges who are card-carrying communists too. So there's no more moderates. There's no more blue dogs. There's no more brake system to slow the train down. It's not just where they are. It's where they're going. This isn't the final form of it. As of now, there's no mechanism to stop it or to even slow it down a little. It picks up steam from here. Make you uncomfortable? It probably should. Let's talk about the system before we get to the system. Let's talk about your system, my system. You know, we need things in our bodies to keep us healthy. We do. We need things like testosterone, vitamins, minerals. We need, we need things that are not big pharma things. I am, as you well know, a huge believer in natural, natural things. And it's not like I'm Mr. Health here. I just believe in natural things, and I don't trust these pharma companies. Chalk. Chalk is the best quality natural herbal supplements you can find anywhere. They have things like a male vitality stack. Guys, do you have any idea how much better you will feel in 90 days once you get on a male vitality stack? 20% increase in your testosterone? female vitality stack, chocolate powder, pour it in your smoothies in the morning. More things that I could list here. And everything's 35% off with a subscription. Cancel anytime if you don't like it. Chalk.com promo code JESSE is how you get that subscription. Chalk.com promo code JESSE. We'll be back. What's the point of a system becoming a system? We talk about the system, that's what I call it all the time, but there have been several different names for it. What do we call this system of leadership, the system of institutions? Remember, a nation is built on its institutions, its religious institutions, its government institutions, its education, its entertainment. It's, there are many institutions, those are the pillars that hold up your nation. They hold it up. And so our institutions, they've all been taken over by the same sick ideology, the same sick religion, cultural Marxism, communism. Why, though? What is the point? Why not stay separate? If you're sports, you know, this is a great example. If you're sports, if you're the NFL, why would you choose to join the other parts of the system, especially when it looked like, and it wasn't good for you to do so. Remember, St. George Floyd died, 
And the NFL, which has long billed itself as this American thing, and go America, military, we love, support our troops. They've, 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 they've been selling that to middle America forever, keeping people like me watching. And then St. George Floyd dies, and all of a sudden the whole league just craps on the flag. America sucks. We're not even coming out for the anthem. That seems suicidal. Remember the ratings went into the tank that year? Just no one watched. Kaepernick, nobody watched. Everyone walked away. Why would you do it when you're Bud Light? When you're Bud Light? Why put a tranny on a beer can? It doesn't matter, honestly, if you are a tranny. You know who drinks Bud Light. You know it's dudes, mostly straight dudes. Nobody wants a Bud Light beer can with a tranny on it. It's just bad business on top of everything else. It's bad business. Why would you do it? Why do it? Why do these things? Well... The whole point of a system becoming a system, the whole point of the pillars working together instead of keeping each other in check, kind of working against each other, the whole point of it is this. It's a protection racket. Safety in numbers. You see, if I want to, I'll put it to you this way, if I want to rob a bank, and there's a bank right up the road here, actually. If I want to go rob a bank, don't worry, I'm not going to rob a bank. I can... Go down there by myself. I'll take the earpiece out. I'll go down there by myself, stick a gun in someone's face and say, give me all your money for the cash register. Okay, and I get four or 500 bucks if I'm lucky. Maybe I get out of the bank alive if I'm lucky. Maybe even if I'm really lucky, I escape from the cops and don't get busted, which I, of course, would get busted. But at the end, I've got three, four, five hundred $500 in a felony on my... I've got people looking for me. It's dangerous. It's horrible. But... If I find a crew of professionals, well, instead of me driving down to the bank and getting $500, maybe I've got guys who know how to defeat an alarm system. Maybe I've got a safe man. Maybe I've got a wheelman to handle the road. Maybe instead of $500, maybe I come out of there with $100,000. Criminals understand, have always understood, that when you're a criminal, when you're doing bad things, there's safety in numbers. You choose to join the system. You choose to work with the other cultural pillars because you know once you all decide that you're going to become a racket and work together, you cannot fail. You remember Charlie Crist, the most perpetually tan human being in the history of mankind? Charlie Crist went out there and he ran for governor of Florida. And he ran in a governor's race that everyone knew Ron DeSantis was going to win easily. Easily. Everyone knew how popular DeSantis and his policies were, are in Florida. And so all of a sudden, Charlie Crist, who's kind of a punchline, gets out there and he runs for office. And you saw so many people saying things like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why is he running for office? Well, guess who the newest ambassador is? Joe Biden had to pick an ambassador. You know how good the life is of an ambassador? You know, the ambassadors, most of the ambassadors, they're most often huge fundraisers for whoever the president is. So they hand these things out to rich people like candy. Why? You stay at the U.S. Embassy. You're a dignitary. You have a driver. You have security guards. You're at fancy state dinners with prime minister this and president that. It's a good life to be an ambassador. Charlie Crist ran in a Florida race. He had no chance of winning at all because he knew in the end, once he got his doors blown off, which of course he did, that he
that he would be taken care of. Brian Stelter is another great example. Brian Stelter. Brian Stelter had no ratings at CNN. Hey, hey, talks like this. He's boring, had nothing interesting to say ever, but Brian Stelter understood something. To his credit, he understood something very well. He understood that he was boring. He understood that he had no role to play, but he understood that if he would just prove to the system that he is a good, loyal servant, that he would eventually be taken care of. Brian Stelter walked out of CNN embarrassed, getting his Saturday show canceled, and he walked right onto the campus of Harvard for a nice, lucrative job. Maybe the greatest example, honestly, the most recent one that's big is Fauci. Fauci, you can easily make the argument, in fact, I would have to think about this, but you could make an argument that Dr. Fauci is, when it comes to health, the worst public policy guy, health guy, in the history of mankind. Is that maybe fair? I'm sure there's some historic plague where someone screwed something up. But this is the moron who told everybody to stand six feet away from people. This is the idiot who told you that the cloth mask on your face somehow did something after he told you not to wear a mask, but now wear a mask. This is the guy who destroyed the United States economy. This is the human being who is as responsible as anybody on the planet for the disaster of COVID lockdowns. And he's the one that pushed that poison shot into your veins over and over and over again. And now we have a record number of young people dying from heart attacks. Fauci is by almost any measure, the least qualified person in the entire world to teach anybody about public policy or health. Dr. Fauci is now an employee of Georgetown, where he will be teaching the next generation of brilliant young minds about public policy and health. Here's. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? He should be prosecuted. Dr. Fauci should receive a fair public trial and should spend the rest of his life in prison, but that won't happen. He will not only have this lucrative position at Georgetown, he'll get paid, I would guess, hundred dollars to $200,000 per speech as he tours the country, bouncing around from college campuses to college campuses, talking about health and public policy. Why become part of the system? Because you can be the most failed public health doctor in the history of mankind and be well compensated for it. We have a corrupt system. The system exists only to protect itself. Only to protect itself. And that's why they're all looking out for each other at all times. That's why you have Antifa now running protection for the child drag shows. That's why you have communist John Denver on television talking about people like Fauci. First off, people didn't know what to do. You know, I think um, both Fauci and Walensky are being demonized in a way that's wrong. They were trying to do the best they could. Mm -hmm. Why would the head of the teachers union Get up there and defend Fauci. Part of the system. That system card, that membership card you get for being part of the system, 
It expires quickly. And they'll cut it up on you like that. Constant tests of loyalty. That's why we have a system. It exists as a criminal protection racket. So these people never, ever, ever fail down. As the great Rush Limbaugh used to say, they always fail up. And that's the whole point of being a system. It's a bank robbery crew. How about that for making you uncomfortable? Don't worry, we have more. We're going to talk about, speaking of corrupt parts of the system, let's talk about the university system. Let's talk about your dog's digestive system. We don't give our dogs probiotics. We don't give them vitamins and minerals. We don't give them digestive enzymes, omega oils. And it's not our fault. We don't know. We don't know that dog food is dead food, that they kill all the nutrition in it. That's why it's brown. Dead things are brown. Things that are alive are green. Dog food is dead. Rough Greens is the all-natural nutritional supplement you pour on your dog's food. It fixed my dog's digestive issues. We're talking about things like bad breath, lethargic, hyperactive dog, dog coat, whatever. Imagine the problems your dog has that it wouldn't have if it actually had nutrition. They're giving out free bags, free jumpstart trial bags. Go to roughgreens.com slash jesse and get yours today, all right? Roughgreens.com slash jesse. We'll be back. Sometimes statistics are really, really boring, and sometimes they're incredibly interesting and a bit eye-popping. I saw this one. This is courtesy of Pew Research. 56% of liberal white women between the ages of 16 and 29 have been diagnosed with a mental health condition. So wrap your mind around that. Those are just the ones who've been diagnosed. Those are just the ones who've gone to see somebody over half. That is, uh, on top of being incredibly sad, that is a, a jaw-dropping number. And I'd love to hear the professor unpack this one for me. Joining me now, Patrick Keenan, professor of political philosophy at Notre Dame. He's also an author of the book Regime, Tra Regime Change. Okay, Patrick, that, that number is so high it doesn't even seem real. And to know that 56% is on the low end, what are we supposed to make of that? Jesse, I mean, I'd actually like to know a little bit more. I'd like to see more of a breakdown of those numbers. Uh, but one thing that I suspect, at least, uh, is that there's probably a strong correlation between uh, these um, diagnoses and um, uh, probably women who are uh, women who are single, and even uh, men men who are single are more likely uh, to exhibit these kinds of pathologies. In other words, one of the things we're seeing is an epidemic of loneliness, of being unattached, of being uh, um, uh, um, no longer in some ways embedded and involved in deeply in the lives of other people. And unsurprisingly, this leads to all kinds of psychological and, and, and health pathologies that I think are, are rampant among, this pop, among our population today. Okay, why? Because I agree with you that there is a loneliness epidemic. I see the emails to my show, lonely men, lonely women. Jesse, I can't find someone. Jesse, I'm 30. Jesse, I'm worried I'm never going to get married. Jesse, but I don't understand why. Now, granted, I'm 41 and I miss this whole social media era, but 
it makes sense to me, Professor, that we should be more connected now than ever before. I mean, my goodness, I can talk to anybody I want to. My phone is a freaking supercomputer. I have access right. to everything, to everyone. I, I could I could hang up here and I could send you a message right here. I guarantee it'd take me five seconds. So why are we less connected when we should be more connected? Well, I mean, you know, your 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 question contains the answer, which is we're we're married to our technologies, to our phones, uh, but we're not. Uh, we're not um, generally uh, as much involved in the in a deep way, in a sustained and long-term way, in the lives of other people. And this this is one of the areas where my area of uh, of study and uh, my discipline, political science, sociology, shows remarkably consistent findings uh, that uh, the maybe the one defining feature of the kind of modern age, uh, the modern age of the uh, you know advanced liberal democracies, is the um, just the, the widespread disconnection that people are experiencing. It's disconnection, obviously, in marriage, uh, having children. Uh, one consequence of that is people grow up without siblings, without cousins, you know, without extended families. Uh, uh, also, just the decline of what people describe as close friends, uh, and that's that's really a remarkable finding that uh, we went, we've gone from in the last twenty years from roughly. Uh, People saying that they have three very close friends, people you could you know, call at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, you know, come pick me up or I really need to talk to somebody. Uh, three really close friends like that to less than one on average uh, uh, that, uh, that people identify today. So again, I think if we're looking at one of the causes of deep forms of kind of mental as well as health pathologies, one area that we should look at uh, with, with you know, great focus is why is it, as a society, we have seemed to make ourselves in an organized and intentional way more and more disconnected from each other. And social media plays a part in that, although it's not solely to blame. Uh, you know, we, we, this has been a trend that's been occurring for much longer than the invention of the, of, of the cell phone, of the iPhone, and so forth. So these, you know, I think social social media and, and these kinds of technologies exacerbates and accelerates these trends, but these trends already pre-existed, the inventions of those technologies. Okay, explain that then. And I'm sorry, I just find this to be fascinating because I'm 100% with you that this is a real, maybe the defining societal problem we have. If it's not just social media, if it was trending this way otherwise, why? Because if I'm if I'm home and I'm I'm lonely, whether I'm happy to be married, obviously, but if I'm single or married and I'm lonely, I'll go find some friends. I, whether that takes the form of going to a gun range or going to a church or a bar or wherever, people are not difficult to locate, Professor. I'm looking out my window right now. I got people everywhere I can go talk to. Why am I so lonely? Well, this is I, I think this is really the, the analysis that I've been engaging in the last two books that I've written why liberalism failed and regime change, which is that every regime has a set of priorities and commitments. Every political order and social order and even economic order have a set of priorities and commitments. And even if we're not aware or conscious of those, it's like the water that fish swim in. It shapes our worldview, it shapes our commitments, it shapes how we act and how we manifest ourselves in the world. And the overarching commitment of a liberal society is to be free is to be free, not just in the kind of sense of, I wanna be able to pursue my own interests, to pursue my hobbies, but to be free of the entanglements of other human beings. And more than just other human beings, the entanglements of institutions, institutions like uh, communities, uh, localities, 
uh, uh, churches, religion, uh, institutions like marriage itself, and of course, uh, children that, that are likely to emerge from, from those kinds of institutions. And then more broadly, it's freedom from cultures and traditions. And so cultures and traditions become seen or redescribed as these forms of human organization that hold us back, that keep us from becoming the kind of person that we were destined to become. So one of the ways in which our regime functions is to kind of, through a kind of very subtle process, dismantle not just these institutions as a kind of formative um, presence in the lives of human beings, but the kind of deeper, more profound, the, the kind of, you know, th those, those deeper roots of traditions and customs that you, know, you might think of as just the way of life uh, of a civilization. And those have been increasingly disassembled or just kind of uh, dissolved in the, in the solvent of, of modern liberalism. And the result is, in some ways, the successful liberation of people from those institutions, those commitments, those relationships. But then the corresponding pathologies that you know this study, I think, points to. So it's no question that a strong family unit, husband, wife in the home, raising kids, that that is more likely to be a more right-leaning, call it conservative, Republican, whatever you want to call it, that's going to be a more right-leaning unit. It just is, and as you've pointed out more than once, as people well know, single people, men and women, young, miserable single people, tend to vote Democrat more. So I'm a suspicious person by nature, how much of this destruction of the family and this loneliness epidemic, which is a very fair way to put it, how much of this was done on purpose? I, I think it's entirely intentional. I mean, this is a, you know, I, I've been in the university, you know, since I was 18 years old, and I don't want to tell you how old I am, but I'm a lot older than 18 now. And it's clear that this has been a, a central project of the modern intellectual class, the, the um, you know, the kind of a permanent political class what we today call the elite, the intellectual, uh, the kind of cultural elite. Uh, and, and it reflects these deeper commitments of this liberal project. Now, I know that you've written a book on, uh, on communism and on Marxism, and this is where a really interesting kind of relationship and even a kind of um, uh, a symbiosis has, has arisen between one element of Marxism and one element, one very distinct element of liberalism. And it is this, uh, in, in Marxism, it's the ideal of human equality, that human equality, the equalization of all things is the ideal. And in liberalism, it's the liberation of people from those kinds of unchosen and background and traditional bonds that I was discussing. Well, it turns out that part of this project was in some ways to marry the liberal project and the Marxist project. And one figure that your listeners and your, uh, your viewers might be really interested in is a book that was published in 1970 uh, by a woman, a feminist named Shulamith Firestone called The Dialectic of Sex. And she argued that Marxism uh, would never be truly achieved until women in particular, but all human beings were freed from their biology, were freed from being men and women, were freed from the kind of the imposition of limitations that nature places upon us, no longer having to reproduce, no longer having to marry, no longer having to be bound to the next generation through childbearing and raising of children. And that this could be achieved through a kind of cultural as well as a technological transformation. This was published in 1970. And when you read that today and you look at the kind of outer edges 
of the sexual revolution today, transgenderism, the idea that our sexuality is simply alterable through surgery uh, or alterable through our own will. I think you see that the, the roots of this revolutionary ideology have been planted for at least half a century, if not more, with the aim of being the liberation of human beings from our natures, from each other, from our institutions, from cultures and traditions, uh, and the result being this, uh, you know, the kind of the kind of society we're seeing coming into being, which is on the one hand full of people who are radically separate, but on the other hand, increasing a society in which if you resist that uh, that that form of society, you are now seen as a threat. You are now seen as a threat uh, and a danger to that regime. Uh, and the regime is increasingly seeking to oppress those who are opposed to this outcome. That's very interesting. A society full of lonely people with groupthink. That's pretty much what we have now. <laughs> Professor, his book is Regime Change. I want to encourage you all to go get it. Obviously, as you can see, he knows his stuff. Professor, thank you so much, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Appreciate it. Fascinating. Fascinating human being. He's coming back. I promise you that much. All right. We have light in the mood. We have, we have. Sometimes those South Africans are crazy people. And you'll see what I mean here in light in the mood here in just a moment. Before we get to that, let's get to this. Let's get to the timeshare you think you're stuck in. But you're not. You're not. And I really, really dislike liars. I dislike liars and thieves. I never claim to be a good person. I'm not a good person. But I don't like liars and thieves. And I don't like these timeshare ripoff companies. They sucker you in. And they get you in there for a couple years, and then eventually they know, because everyone does this, eventually you're going to be done with it. You stop using it. Maybe you never win at all. It happens. But eventually you're done. And so you just call them. Hey, man, I'm, I'm done. Appreciate it. I'm out. And they say, no, nope, sorry. Forgot to read the fine print. You're in for life. You're never allowed out. Annual fees, every single annual fees that have doubled, by the way. Special assessments without end. And you think you're stuck, but you're not. Lone Star Transfer, they get out 99% of the people who make that phone call I want you to make right now. One phone call. One phone call away from freedom. Call 844-310-2646. All right? 844-310-2646. We'll be back. All right. It is time to lighten the mood. And this lighten the mood video is gonna feature a cat. Now, maybe you have a cat. And the thing about your cat is this. I'm sure you love your cat. I'm not a cat guy myself, but your cat has smells. Our dogs have smells. We human beings have smells. The things we cook have smells. It just happens. They soak into the carpet, into the walls. It's why our homes have an odor. They don't have to though. You could get Eden Pure thunderstorms in your home, and your home can be odor-free. So clean, when people walk in, they'll ask you, what, what? they can almost taste clean air. Because Eden Pure thunderstorm doesn't cover up odors in your air, it cleans your air, constantly scrubbing it. Viruses and mold, gone. They sell three packs of these little miracles. It's just this little black box. They sell three packs, $200 off. I own, I used to say I own six of them. I think we got another three pack. I own a lot. Go get a three pack to start out. They're selling them $200 off. EdenPureDeals.com. Code Jesse is how you get that. All right? All right, here's a man making a pot of coffee. 
in front of a very angry cat. The kitchen is growling at me this morning. As you can see, I've got a beautiful male lion looking through my kitchen window. And I just need to get to that kettle to make some coffee, that's all. But the decision is we've got um, a honeymoon couple in camp. And awesome. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.